0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series on the book of Job called Where Were You? For previous messages or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. And as Thomas said, open them to 29, uh, Job chapter 29 so last week, we looked at one of the most prominent themes that we find in the book of Job, primarily a prominent theme that comes from the friends, right? The, the friends, uh, as they talk to Job. And this was the prominent thing that we talked about. We, we said, wickedness equals punishment, righteousness equals blessing. Wickedness equals punishment, and righteousness equals blessing. So Job, I see you're going through pain, I see your suffering, your pain is a result of you being punished, and your punishment is a result of you somewhere having some things you need to get straightened out. There's some sin, there's something going on in your life, because God never punishes the righteous, hint, hint, Job. And his friends were saying, if you're suffering, it's a result of the punishment, and that's a result of your wickedness. There has got to be some sin in your life. That's what we talked about last week. And keep in mind, the friends are doing the best that they can to try to make sense of what is going on in this this moment. But honestly, they're really not great comforters at all. Uh, They they remind me of just a typical guy trying to fix the problem, like, we'll get it right. We'll fix it out. That's what they were doing. But they were trying to, let's just say, fill in the gaps where answers weren't provided. Uh, And of course, um, they were wrong. What, one thing I love that they did, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is when Job said, no, I'm innocent, the friend said, well, let us help you find out what the sin is. Uh, you've obviously ignored widows. You've uh, ignored the orphans. You did something. You, you pushed out the poor. So they're filling in the, the blanks, trying to guess, that uh, Job, let us tell you how bad you truly are Again, not the greatest comforters in this situation. Um, but their, their concept was simple. It was, Job, if you fix your wickedness, God will again bring you back into blessing. So that's what we talked about last week. And, and like I said, the friends were in so many ways very wrong. Job's suffering was not a result of his sin. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us multiple times that Job was in fact a righteous an upright man. Um, however, we found that this is also a true statement. In the sense that this statement is a beautiful representation of the gospel in that we were once wicked, deserving punishment. But Christ took our punishment, making us righteous, and giving us blessing. And so that's where we, we talked. That's good news. Amen? Amen. We're going to pick up from there. And this morning, we're going to look at another prominent theme that we see that comes out of Job's word, or his, his own words, and that is this, I am suffering, and God is quiet. I am suffering, yet God is quiet, he's silent. Job was left in his suffering, he was sitting in his pain, no answers, no relief, and what was he getting from God? God. Silence. Silence. Have you been there? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to examine Job's life and his his words to see how this theme kind of plays out. But then, this is huge. What we're going to do is kind of turn and look ahead to our own lives and see how this plays out and why this is important for us to understand. But let's start with Job, and let's start in Job 29 in verse 2. I want you to hear Job's heart as he he speaks here. says, oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me. So you get this sense Job is sitting there and he's thinking about the, the days, those days before all of my life unraveled and fell apart. You're thinking back to those days, those days when God watched over me, when God still had my back. He's thinking back to those days, longing for those days. And in verse three, he says, when his lamp shone upon my head and by his light, I walked through the darkness. Um, this might be a rabbit trail, but I'm gonna go on it. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can relate to this. I, uh, I love running. I love it. Most of my runs happen before the sun comes up. It happens in complete darkness. And, and there was a time that I wouldn't mind that at all. I just got up. Got out. It's black. My eyes will hopefully adjust, and I just, I just go. I love the quiet and the peace. But one morning last summer, uh, something happened that just forever has spooked me. Uh, it was an especially dark morning, and it was real early. No one was out yet. No cars. No people. It was kind of an introverted person's like dream. It's just peace. No children, peace. It was wonderful. Until um, I was just in the zone. I was loving it. And until this car comes over the hill. It had a, he had his high beams on. And it just, you know, it startles you. you look, I looked down right away. And then when I looked back up, my eyes kind of focused in right in time for that car's lights to illuminate a, a dead deer that had been hit. And that was on the sidewalk. And when I say on the sidewalk, I mean within one step of me. So blinded, look down, look up. Ho, oh, there's a deer. Can you imagine how much this would have wrecked my morning if I would have tripped and face-planted in a <laughs> dead animal? Um, it was horrible. Uh, but literally, when I got home that, that day, I got, on, um, I got on Amazon and I ordered a running headlamp. I mean, it was instant. I got that thing delivered. Um, Running in the dark is not the problem. I love running in the dark. The problem is when you don't have a light. When you have no light whatsoever. All my confidence now is shaken. I need my light. I need my light. Job compares his life to this in a sense that it's like he's running in the dark and he feels like God just took away his light. He feels like I once... I once knew what it was like to have the light and have confidence in it, but now I feel like my light, my headlamp is gone. And he remembers the day when he ran in the dark in confidence. He remembers those days. But now he's tripping on animals, right? Let's go to verse 4. As I was in my prime when the friendship of God was upon my tent, uh, we can debate and speculate for, forever how much Job knew about God. Right, this is before the Bible. This is before Jesus came uh, to the earth and accomplished His work. So we can argue a lot about what, how Job's relate, what that relationship looked like. Here's one thing we do know: there was a closeness and intimacy between Job and God. There was a closeness where Job knew Him enough to call Him friend. It was a friendship. Close enough to call him friend. Verse 5, when the Almighty was yet with me. This is really heavy. Um, when my children were all around me. So it's almost as though he's sitting in, in, his, in his home in silence. The home that used to be filled with the sound of his children laughing and memories of what once was. And he's sitting here and he's longing for his He's longing for those days. He's longing for those days again, and in verse six, when my steps were washed with butter and the rock poured out from me streams of oil. This sounds a little gross, uh, washing your feet with butter, but where does butter come from? It comes from the livestock that Job just lost. Job is looking back at the days um, when he wasn't in complete financial ruin, He's looking back at the days when his children still were around him. He's looking back, and again, the rock poured out for me streams of oil. This is, again, a reference to God's blessing, that that God had blessed him with prosperity in life, and he remembers those days. Now, turn with me a page. It might even be on the same page in your Bible to Job 30. And I want you to hear the uh, shift in Job's tone just a bit Verse 19, it says, God has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. He's saying, look at me. Look what I have become. And now listen to verse 20. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand, and you only look at me. For a moment, consider that imagery. Consider that imagery as Job, a friend of God, is sitting in his suffering and his pain, and he's calling out to God saying, please help me, please help me, and God is standing and watching. This is what Job, Job is a wreck. Um, Job cries out to God in the middle of his need and gets silence, gets nothing but God looking at him. In this scene, I mean, imagine, this is a weird analogy, but go with me. If you were walking with a good friend and all of a sudden people came out and just mugged you, and as you're getting mugged, you look over to your friend who's got their hands in their pockets and you say, help me, help me, please help me, don't do nothing. And they just stand there and watch you. This is how Job feels in this moment. God, you're all powerful, right? You can do all things, right? You can come and make all of this right, but you stand and you watch me in silence. Remember, Job never doubted God's existence. Through this whole thing, he never doubted that God was there. He never doubted that the life, the blessing that he once lived was a result of God himself blessing him. But you get the sense that Job just can't wrap his mind around why, God, are you silent and not watching over me, not being my light anymore, not saying anything. And this is where Job was. And church, how could God remain silent? How could God remain silent? Maybe it was because the scene in Job 1 and 2 Uh, Maybe it was because God was teaching Job something. Maybe it was because uh, God was strengthening Job. Maybe it was for someone else uh, to deepen his faith. Um, Maybe it was all of these put together. But here's the reality. It's not ours to know. It's not ours to know the why. And there are, going to be, there are going to be moments in your life when you are in this place going, Why, God? Where are you? Say something, and you're going to get nothing but silence, and you're going to wonder why. It's not ours to know the answer to the why. Job is a story about trusting God even in the silence, understanding that his ways are beyond ours, and trusting I want us to think about it like this. Uh, It's almost like you and I live our lives zoomed in. Where we see what's in front of us, we see what's around us, we are zoomed in, we are locked, we are loaded in what we can see around us. And I wanna, let me give you an example. I want you to think of a movie you have never seen before and you don't know the plot line. So just open up your Netflix, grab a movie that you have no idea what it's about. I want you to click on it, fast forward to the 45th minute. And I want you to watch that movie for 15 seconds. Then I want you to turn it off. Then I would like for to get your um, opinion on the movie as a whole. Now, of course, your, your perspective on this movie is probably going to be a little bit off-off. You're probably not going to know the plot line very well. You're talking about 15 seconds. You're not going to know the characters. You're not going to know even how your 15 seconds fits into the whole thing. Now, I want you to imagine that you go to the writer and the director and you begin to argue that your 15 seconds does not make sense. Doesn't make sense. You messed this one up, director. Of course, that is ridiculous. His perspective, the director's perspective, is so much bigger Than ours, than our zoomed in perspective. Of course, we would never think about doing that to a writer and a director of a movie. But Job's message to us is trust the director more than your own perspective. Trust the director who sees it more than your own perspective. For reasons that God does not reveal to Job, God remains silent through this dialogue. Now, is Job correct in his accusations to God? Was God just standing back and and watching? Um, What I love about Job, just a side note, is he is profoundly human. He is not a superhuman. He is a... He is a, a human being. And there are moments where Job just gets it right. He's got his head on his shoulders. He's suffering, but he sees God. There are moments that we're going to talk about here in a little bit where he actually prophesies. And there are other moments, church, where Job gets it wrong. He is up, down, up, down, up, down. Can you relate? This was, this was Job. There are times when, when Job just starts blaming God and accusing God, and Job was correct in that God was silent, um, that God had become silent, that he wasn't intervening, but it did not mean for a minute that Job had been abandoned by God, forgotten by God, or that God in any way made a mistake. And if you're in the, in the room today and you're, you're sitting in a little bit of a silent season, Where you're looking, you're waiting for for answers. Um, Church, you are not forgotten, and God has not abandoned you. He hasn't made a mistake, and for reasons that you don't know, your fifteen second clip looks the way it does because of the story that it fits into. This moment of silence is a part of your story. It's a part of your clip, and ours is to trust the director. Um, I have a warning for you this morning. I'm about to share some ridiculously over-the-top, incredibly good news. All right, you ready? No? It's all right. Each week, we've done our best to answer, how are we alike, Job? Like, how do we share in the things that Job went through? And on the other hand, how do we stand a little bit further ahead than Job was? And how do we have things Job did not have? Um, there are many things that Job went through that we can fully relate to. That moment when you feel like it's silence, the silent treatment, the, the, the moment um, where you go through things that you can't understand and you don't get answers to the, the moments where God is, it's almost like he's just calling you to trust him and not to know. We can relate to Job on that. Um, it's all absolutely true, but with the rest of our time, I want us to talk about the ways that we are different than Job in our suffering today. Uh, I want to talk about the ways that you have something that Job did not. I want to talk about you see something in full that Job saw very vaguely in the future. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I'm doing it because I want you to hear this coming from Job's own words. Uh, And so, Let's go to Job 23. You can flip there, scroll there. It'll be on the screen as well. We'll start right at the beginning. Uh, Job says, Today also my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know that he would answer me and understand What he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There, an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Job is saying, Oh, that I could bring myself before him, that he would pay attention to me, that an upright man could come before him, and that last line, that I would be acquitted forever before my judge. Hold that thought. Flip with me to Job 9. I told you, we're bouncing a little bit this morning. Job 9, starting at the very end in verse 30. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hands on both of us. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. So, Job, oh, that I could go before him, that I could just go before God, but I am just a man, and he is God, and he is beyond me, and who am I to think that I could argue with my God? So there's got to be someone who could stand in the middle and bridge that gap, Oh, that there would be a mediator. Oh, that there would be someone, literally as he paints the picture, that could have a hand on each one of our shoulders, bridging the gap between an imperfect person and a perfect holy God. Oh, that there could only be someone, a mediator. Hold that thought. Let's look at one more. Flip to Job 19, last one. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Job got his wish here. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead um, they were engraved in the rock forever. Listen to this. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has, has been thus destroyed, yet... In my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my, my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, that he will one day stand on this earth, that, that one day I will see him again face to face. I know. Job says this in faith. Remember, he doesn't have this he doesn't know how Jesus is going to come and give it. He doesn't know this. But he says in faith, my Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. And after we consider all of these, let me, let me put it like this. Church, we live on the other side of these words. We live on the other side of Job's words. And, and For those of you who are followers of Christ, get ready. If you're not at least smiling by the end of this, I really do worry about you. Maybe some amens, even if they're silent. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is good news. That this is what can be yours in Jesus Christ. So, (laughs) Job's words that he just spoke have been completely fulfilled the words that Job just spoke have been wonderfully, think of it this way. We stand on the things that Job pleaded for and saw vaguely in the future. We now stand on them. We now anchor ourselves. So Job says, oh, that my case would be taken before my God, my judge, that I may be forever acquitted. Christian, your, your case has been taken before your God. All of it, everything laid out before him. The good, the bad, the entire case laid out. And some of you are thinking, whoa, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> I know some of the bad. Can we just stick with half the case Lay out before him? Let's continue. Job says, but I am just a man. I'm imperfect and I'm standing before a perfect and holy God. I need someone to bridge this. I need a mediator. Job says, how can I come before God without someone to bridge the gap? Christian, Jesus Christ is your mediator. Jesus Christ is your perfect bridge, your perfect mediator. So for those of us who may have been thinking, well, do we have to put the whole case out in front of him? Can we just maybe put half of it? Um, I know some things I, don't, I would rather not have on my table. This is the beauty of the gospel, church. We don't have to hide. We are laid out before him. Weaknesses and all, and get this, the Bible says that Jesus sympathizes with you and your weaknesses. um, That our sympathetic mediator bridges the gap. That he bridges the gap between you and your stuff and God in his absolute holiness and perfection. And he stands, and as Job says, if only there was someone to put their hand. That's Jesus Christ. And not only that, we know that the one who puts their hand, he actually sympathizes with you and your weakness. You've got a great end to this deal. Job says, I know in faith that my Redeemer lives, that I know that one day he's going to rule and reign, and justice is going to be established. One day I'm going to see him face to face. Christian, Christian. Your Redeemer lives. Your Redeemer lives, and the empty tomb just loudly proclaims that fact that your Redeemer lives, your Savior lives. He will rule and reign in justice, and you will see him face to face. You will see him, and on that day, here's what matters. Are you a child of God? Are you in Christ? Do you belong to him? That's what matters. I want you to think about something. Um, In those moments in your life, We're talking about Job. We're talking about suffering. In those moments um, when you're getting no answers, when you're getting no conclusion, no resolution in in those moments, and maybe you're you're here and you have, God, where are you? Where are you? I'm not doubting that you exist. Where are you, though? How could you be in this, in those moments? I want us to see three things as we close our time together this morning. The first one is this. In the moments when God is silent about your crisis, remember that he's not silent about your future. In other words, your eternity is never shaken by your current crisis. Ever. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Nothing. No persecution, no struggle, no nothing. Nothing. Nothing can take away your future. God is not silent about your eternity. This is screaming loud and clear. God is not silent about your eternity. Um, You may not know the details of your present situation, though. You might not ever know. But God is not silent. You may not know how the game is going to be played, but you know the result. God is not silent about your future. Number two, uh, there's a purpose for God's silence, even when you don't know it. There's a purpose. uh, So last week, we said something that I think we need to maybe reiterate. God has never once uttered the words, or the word, oops, ever. He's never said the word, oops. He's always in control, and... Not only does he not make mistakes, think about this, in his world and, and the things that happen in this world, he also is perfect in the way he loves his children. He is a good father who loves you well. You may not understand it. There are times when my children do not understand me when I father them with love. The same is true for, for us. There is a purpose to God's silence. Um, it was a couple months ago that we were meeting with a, a couple pastors from our city. I love this. I love getting to know what God is doing in other congregations in our city. And we sat in this room, and one of the pastors said something that just stuck with me. Uh, he told a story of a man and a boulder. Uh, so the boulder was, was right there. It was huge. It was right in the, on the ground in front of the man. And God comes, and he tells this man, push the boulder. Go and push that boulder. So the man stretches and he gets ready. He's ready to dive in. He is ready to make this boulder move. He thinks, I'm going to move it. Hours pass. He's pushing. Days come and go. He's pushing. He's not giving up. He's he's like, Well, maybe I need to hit the gym a little bit. I'm gonna push this boulder. I'm gonna make this thing move. Um, Months passed. And all of a sudden, he began God, why have you called me to this? Why am I doing this? I have nothing to show for it. This boulder is laughing at me. One day, this man felt especially strong. And he gets up, he's like, now's gonna be the day I'm gonna move this thing. And he gives everything he has until he falls out in exhaustion. And he gets up, and he looks, and the boulder hadn't moved an inch. Nothing. Just sitting there. And the man just falls, and he's like, God, you've wasted my time. Why on earth would I be doing this? Why have I given myself to pushing on this huge boulder? Uh, One day, God returns. After months of silence, God returns to the scene. And... uh, the man runs to him and, and says, God, why? God listens and uh, he responds. And God says, Have you pushed the boulder? The man was like, Yes. I know you can't tell that, but I have been pushing this boulder. I've given myself to it. It's this time and energy that I've wasted, and I can't even move it an inch. God stops him and simply says, Well done. Well done. The man says, God, what are you talking about? I have failed. And then God said, my purpose was never for you to move that rock. This was an exercise that I gave you in order for you to gain your strength to become stronger for the thing that I have for you to accomplish next. You're going to need that strength that you gained in this struggle for what I have before you next. That was always my purpose. That was always what I had planned. Trust me. Trust me. Church, so often we're like this, man, as we go through struggles and we say, God, could you have a plan for this? I'm spinning my wheels. I'm going nowhere. Nothing is happening. And God is saying all the time, I see the big picture. I haven't said oops yet. Trust me. Trust me. The struggles that you're facing are being used. And I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound so, if you're in the struggle, you just can't, they're for your good and his glory. Somehow, in some way, God has not made a mistake with you. Your season of silence is not a mistake. There's a purpose for it, and ours is to trust the director. Lastly, um, this is going to sound a little Counter to what I've been saying, but trust me, I'll I'll hopefully make it make sense. Ultimately, God is never silent. I said, we have something that Job never had. Ultimately, God is never silent. And by this, I mean, we have something. You hold it in your hand. You even have it on your phone that Job never had. And what this is, is the real word of God. Literally God's word holding it in your in your hand. Um, God has spoken to you. And too often, I talk to Christians who are saying, please, God, speak to me. Say something to me. Come through somehow. And this is on their shelf gaining dust, and it's never been opened. And God is saying, I did. This is a resounding reminder that our God is not silent. If you're here and you are in a season where you cannot hear answers, church, as simple as this may sound, open this. Open it. Um, This is God revealing who he is. This is God revealing what he has done. And this is God revealing what it looks like for us to follow him. God is not silent. Although you may be in a tough season right now with so many unanswered questions, ultimately your God is not silent. Um, so much of Job, in all honesty, is is about trust. So much of Job is about trust. Um, knowing that he didn't make a mistake even when we're not getting the answers that we wanted to get, that he is still God. He never said oops and that we can trust him. And what I, trust has never been about us knowing the answers. It's never been. Trust has never been about us knowing all the answers. Trust is about relying on the one who does. And that's where we're gonna pick it up next week. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you as a people who um, have very limited perspectives. We see only what we see in front of us or what we've experienced in our limited perspective. Forgive us, God, when we come to you and believe we know better. Forgive us, God, when we come to you and we raise our fists at you. and We say, God, you have messed up. Forgive us as we do that. But God, also, if Job teaches us anything, it's that you can handle us when we come to you, even when we don't have answers and we are upset and we are, you are a loving God. Through your son, our mediator, we know that we have a mediator who sympathizes with us in our time of weakness. And that we can be confident that as we approach your throne that we will receive grace. We will receive mercy. And that's all because of you. God, we are grateful for what you have done in the way that you have spoken. Father, allow us to, God, give us the ability to trust you more. Give us the ability to trust you more. To trust our Director. And God, as we do, we give you the glory even in the the ups, the downs, and in the seasons that don't even make sense to us yet. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.